are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Storm Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 347. We are reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 13, paragraph 625 to 635. Chapter 13. The Most Blessed Mary commemorates other blessings with her angels, especially her presentation in the feast days of St. Joachim and St. Anne and St. Joseph. 625. Gratitude for the benefits received at the hands of the Lord is a virtue so noble that by means of it we may preserve our intercourse and correspondence with God himself. He, as rich, generous, and powerful, conferring upon his gifts, we, as poor, humble, and aware of our needs, returning for them our thanks. It is natural that he who gives liberally and generously should be content with the thanks of him who, as the needy one, is receiving the benefit. And this thankfulness is a short, easy, and delightful return, which satisfies the liberal giver and induces him to continue his liberality. If this ordinarily happens among men of generous and magnanimous heart, how much more in the dealings of God with men? For we are misery and poverty itself, while he is rich, most liberal, and if we could imagine any constraint in him, it would be that of receiving and not that of giving. As this great Lord is so wise, just, and equitous, He will never reject us on account of our poverty, but only on account of our ingratitude. He desires to give us plentifully, but at the same time, he wishes us to be grateful, rendering him the glory, honor, and praise contained in gratitude. Such a return for small benefits obliges him to confer other greater ones. If we are grateful for all, he multiplies them. However, it is only the humble that secure them, since they are, at the same time, thankful 6.26. The great teacher of this science was the most blessed Mary, for though she alone had received the plentitude of highest blessings possible to be communicated to a mere creature by the Almighty, she forgot none of them, nor even ceased to acknowledge them by the most perfect thankfulness within the powers of a creature. For each one of the gifts of nature or grace, none of which she failed to recognize and acknowledge. She composed special songs of praise and thanksgiving, and instituted admirable exercises in special commemoration and acknowledgement. 
In view of this, she had assigned the days of the whole year and special hours of each day in which she sought to renew the memory of these graces and give thanks for them. But in the midst of all these observances and solicitudes, she forgot not those of the government of the church, the instruction of the apostles and disciples, the counsel and advice to be given to the innumerable persons who came to her, for she denied herself to no one who came nor failed to respond to the needs of any of the faithful. 6.27 Hence, if due thankfulness obliges God so much and inclines him to renew and increase his blessings, what human thought can ever conceive how much his beneficence was called into action by the gratitude shown by his most prudent mother for his many and exalted blessings and rendered to him with all the fullness of the humble love and praise due to each? All we other children of Adam in comparison with her, are slow, ungrateful, and so dull of heart, that the little we do, if we do anything at all, does not appear worthy of consideration. But the great things which the faithful and thankful queen performed seem little to her, and even when she did all in her power, she held herself to be remiss, and failing in diligence in another place, I said that the activity of the most blessed Mary resembled that of God himself, who is a pure act, operative by his very being or essence, which cannot cease in its infinite activity. Of this quality and excellence of the divinity, our great queen had acquired a certain ineffable participation, so that she seemed in herself to be one continued and untiring act. If grace is impatient of rest in others, no one must be surprised. If in Mary, in whom grace was without measure, and according to our way of thinking, without known limits, it should partake in such an exalted degree of God and his activity. 6.28 I cannot show or elucidate this mystery better than by referring to the admiration it caused in the angels who were witnesses of it. Many times it happened in their wonder at what they saw in their queen and lady, that they spoke to her or to each other. Powerful, great, and admirable is God in this creature more than in all his works. Vastly does human nature in her rise above us. Eternally be blessed and magnified thy maker, O Mary. Thou art the ornament and beauty of all the human race. Thou stirrest to the holy emulation all the angelic spirits and to admiration all the inhabitants of heaven. Thou art the wonder of God's omnipotence and of the power of his right hand, the summary of the works of the incarnate word, the exact copy of his perfections, the reproduction of all his actions, assimilating thyself entirely to the one Thou hast given form in thy womb. Thou art a worthy teacher of the militant church, the special glory of the triumphant, the honor of our people, the restorer of thy own. Let all the nations know thy virtues and greatness, and let all generations praise and bless thee. Amen. 6.29 With these heavenly princes, the most blessed Mary celebrated the memory of God's blessings and gifts. She invited them to accompany her in rendering proper thanks not only because of her most ardent and fervent love, which on account of the insatiable thirst caused by the fire of her charity demanded such a return as of justice, but also because of her profound humility, which caused her to acknowledge her obligations beyond all other creatures. Hence, she asked all creation to help her in paying her debt, although no one but she could ever pay it worthily. Filled with this wisdom, she drew down to her oratory on earth the court of the Supreme King and changed the world into a new heaven. 6.30 On the anniversary of her presentation in the temple, in commemorating this benefit, she commenced the evening before and spent the whole night in exercises of thanksgiving, 
as described for the feast of her conception and nativity. She acknowledged the blessing of having been called to his temple by the Lord and to the house of prayer at such an early age, and of having received so many favors while residing there. But the most remarkable feature of her celebration was that the great mistress of virtue, full of divine wisdom, renewed in her memory the teachings and instructions given to her in the temple by the priest and her teacher at that early age. With the same loving solicitude, she preserved in her memory the teachings of her holy parents, Jochem and Anne, and those of the apostles. All of them she rehearsed and practiced with greater and greater perfection, according as the advancing years of her life demanded. Although the teaching of her divine son was eminently sufficient for all her doings, yet she recalled those received from all others. She permitted herself no cessation in the practice of humility and obedience, nor ever overlooked the least point or permitted any of the ingenuous secrets of these virtues to be obscured and remain idle. Oh, how highly did she esteem the sayings of the wise! Lean not upon thy own prudence! Be not wise in thy own conceit! Proverbs 3, 5, 7 Despise not the discourse and the teaching of the presbyters, and live always according to their sayings. Do not enter into the high speculation with yourself, but conform to the lowly. Romans 12.16 6.31 In celebrating this feast, the great lady felt some certain natural regret for the quiet retirement of the temple in her youth. Notwithstanding that, she had so promptly obeyed the Lord in forsaking it, and in resigning herself to the exalted ends for which he had withdrawn her. But he did not fail to requite her by some special favors on this feast. On this day of the Lord descended from heaven in great magnificence and in the company of the angels and on other occasions and addressing his most blessed mother in her oratory, he said, My mother and dove, come to me, thy God and thy son. I wish to afford thee a temple and a habitation more exalted, more secure and godlike, one that is within my own being. Come, my most beloved, to that legitimate dwelling. At these most sweet words, the seraphim raised their queen from the ground, where she always lay prostrate at his visits until he bade her rise, and with heavenly music placed her at the right hand of the Lord. She perceived or felt herself at once filled with the divinity as a temple, with his glory and bathed, surrounded, and contained as a fish in the sea, experiencing by this union or contact with the divinity new and unspeakable effects. For she thereby attained a possession of the divinity, which I cannot describe, and which afforded the heavenly mother a great delight and joy. Additional to that of seeing God face to face. 6.32 This great favor the prudent mother called my exalted refuge and dwelling on the feast itself. She called the feast of the being of God, and she composed wonderful canticles to express its significance and give thanks. At the end of this day, she thanked the Almighty for having created the ancient patriarchs and prophets, including all from Adam to her natural parents, in whom her lineage ended. She thankfully rehearsed all the gifts of grace and nature conferred upon them by the divine power, and for all their prophecies and for what is recorded of them in the Holy Scriptures. Then she turned to her parents, Jochem and Anne, and thanked them for having presented her so young to God in the temple. At the same time, as they were now enjoying the beatific vision in the heavenly Jerusalem, she besought them to thank God in her stead and to ask him to teach her how to be thankful and to be governed by him in all her doings. Above all, she besought them to give thanks to the omnipotent Lord for having exempted her from original sin and chosen her as his mother. These two blessings she always considered inseparable. 633. 
the feast days of St. Joachim and St. Anne, she celebrated almost with the same ceremonies as that of her presentation. Both of those saints descended with the Lord to her oratory with an innumerable multitude of angels. With them, she gave thanks to God for having provided her with parents so holy and conformable to the divine will and for the glory which he had conferred upon them. In acknowledgment of all these works of the Lord, she composed new hymns with the angels, which they sang to sweet and harmonious music. Besides this, another marvel took place on these festal days of her parents. The angels of the queen and others who came from on high divided into choirs, some explaining to the queen the attributes or perfections of the divinity, and others those of the incarnate word. This colloquy afforded her incomparable joy, and new incentive to her loving and inflamed affections. St. Joachim and Anne derived therefrom also a great additional delight. Before they returned to heaven, the great lady asked their blessing, and then remained prostrate upon the ground in thanksgiving for these favors. 6.34 On the feast of her most chaste and holy spouse, Joseph, she celebrated her espousal in which the Lord had given her a most faithful companion to conceal the mysteries of the incarnation of the word and to execute with such high wisdom the secret works of the redemption of man. And all these dealings and eternal counsels of the Most High were recorded in the purest heart of Mary. And as she held them in so worthy contemplation, she commemorated them with ineffable joy and thanksgiving. On this feast, St. Joseph came in the splendor of glory and with the myriads of angels in order to solemnize the feast with joyful music and to sing the new hymns and canticles which the Heavenly Mother composed in thanksgiving for the blessings received by her holy spouse and herself at the hands of the Most High. 6.35 After having consumed many hours in this celebration, she spent others of that day in conversing with her glorious spouse about the perfection and attributes of God. For in the absence of her Lord, the Most Loving Mother delighted most in such discourses and conferences. On taking leave from her holy spouse, she begged him to pray for her in the presence of the divinity and to praise him in her name. She recommended to his prayers also the necessities of the Holy Church and of the Apostles. Then, after asking his blessing, she continued her acts of humility and thanksgiving as usual, while the glorious St. Joseph returned to heaven. But I wish here to mention two things. First, that on these festivals, while her son lived upon earth and happened to be present, he was accustomed to show himself transfigured as he was on Mount Tabor. This favor he showed her many times, and mostly on these occasions, for by them he repaid her in a measure for her devotion and humility, and renewed in the divine effects consequent upon these marvels. Secondly, that in order to celebrate these favors and blessings, the great queen, besides what has already been mentioned, added other observances worthy of her piety and of our attention. Namely, on the days spoken of, and on others of which I shall speak directly, she gave food to many of the poor, preparing the victuals herself, and serving them with her own hands and on her own knees. For this purpose she directed the evangelist to gather the most needy and destitute, which she faithfully did according to her orders. Moreover, she had more costly food prepared to be sent to the poor, sick, in the firmaries whom she could not gather around her, and afterwards she went in person to console and heal them by her presence. This was the manner in which the Most Blessed Mary celebrated the festivals, and which she taught the faithful to imitate, showing them how to be thankful for all things as far as possible, both by making sacrifices and by good works. This concludes our reading today for day number 347. We have read from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 13, Paragraph 625 
to 635. The feasts of our Lord and the feasts of Our Lady, the memorials of the saints, as a church today are all occasions for us to rejoice and for us to give thanks to God for all the blessings he has bestowed upon us. As Christmas approaches, we give thanks for the incarnation, that God became one like us in all things but sin, that he came to us as an infant, that he came to teach us and to show us the way to heaven. We give thanks to God for Mary and what God accomplished in the life of Mary, and what we see in the different feast days of Our Lady and how they can inspire us towards a greater love of God and holiness in our life. It's interesting that we heard that Mary selected the feast days, so she observes them. Of course, she's observing these feast days, even without the church having raised to the altars yet, Joachim and Anne, but in her own way on earth, before she was assumed into heaven, Mary says, it is fitting for us to honor my parents which we celebrate now as a church during the month of July with their feast day. She praises God. She sings special songs and she does special acts of devotion on these feast days. She herself gives thanks to God for the gift of her presentation because in the presentation of the temple and remaining there, she was prepared for her life, and for that advent of our King. I also thought it was moving as we heard about the feasts of St. Joachim and Anne and Mary's celebration of them, that she wanted to honor her parents, and how fitting it is for us to honor our parents. Our parents, while not the mother of an immaculate child, our parents have been responsible for the handing on of faith. And so we give thanks to God for them on their birthdays or on the day in which they went home to the Lord. We remember them. We give thanks for them. We pray for them. And I don't think it's a far stretch for us to ask our parents to pray for us that from their place in eternity that they can do that. And so what Mary does as she converses in paragraph 632 with her parents really is inspiration for us. On the feast of her most chaste and holy spouse, Joseph, she celebrated her espousal in which the Lord had given her a most faithful companion to conceal the mysteries of the incarnation of the word. So there we have the celebration of her husband. And what ineffable joy, she says, and thanksgiving they had that St. Joseph would come to her and she would be able to celebrate with him When St. Joseph would leave, she begged him to pray for her in the presence of the divinity and to praise him in her name, and recommended to his prayers the needs of the Holy Church and of the Apostles. Well, today we know St. Joseph as the patron of the Universal Church, and Mary already seeing his role, that she brings the needs, especially on these feast days. Isn't that what happens on a feast day? We bring our needs to that particular saint. We implore them in a very special way. And sometimes we prepare for some of these feasts with novenas, that we want to ask God for the blessings through the intercession of these saints. And finally, this was something I always wondered. How did Mary see Jesus all throughout her life? And we heard today in our final paragraph that 
she was privy to seeing the transfigured Lord. That throughout her life with the child Jesus and the teenage Jesus and the young adult Jesus, she saw Jesus transfigured, revealed in glory. And we know what happened on Mount Tabor. On Mount Tabor, Jesus talks with Moses and Elijah. And you wonder, did Mary see Jesus talking with the prophets? Did Mary see Jesus and overhear him praying to his Father in heaven as the apostles hear him praying? This gets to just thinking about Our Lady and her role, especially in the life of Jesus and the early church. Today we celebrate Our Lady as we do each and every day. We ask her prayers, and just now we have a greater appreciation for her feast days and for how she celebrated the ones that spoke of God's grace in her life but also those of her divine son. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.